What is truth? It's a question that a lot of people have been asking lately. A New York City professor said that 2 plus 2 equals 4 is actually a racist statement. Is that true or is it not? And how can we know? Welcome to This Divine Moment, a podcast all about learning to notice and respond to the work that God is already doing in each of our lives. Today, we're going to look at our relationship with the idea of truth. We're going to talk about how we can know truth and how it can impact us to be able to experience a divine moment in our own lives. Well, hey there. Welcome to This Divine Moment. I am your host, Ben Cornick. If you don't know me, I am a father, I'm a husband, I'm a pastor, I'm a speaker, and I'm also someone who loves to figure out the truth. I'm a huge fan of the truth. Uh, I love moments when I'm watching a show, uh, especially like a documentary or uh, some kind of a crime show, and the truth comes out. I'm like, yes, finally. Uh, I just, there's just such a sense of justice and um, wholeness when you realize what is true and what isn't. And so this is a, this is an important question for us to ask, what is truth? And this was actually a question that was posed to me by one of uh, this podcast's listeners. They said, hey, can you talk about what is truth and how can we discern between what is true and what isn't? And uh, as I mentioned at the top of the episode, uh, there was an article a while back where a New York City professor named Lori Rubel put out this concept that when we say two plus two equals four, we just say, look, that's just neutral truth. It's just, it just is. It's true. Just like the, when we look at the sky, it looks blue. When we look at grass, it looks green. Um, there's four seasons in a year, you know, like things that like most people would just go, yeah, that's just normal the way that we look at things. Uh, this woman said, no, um, actually two plus two equals four is a racist statement and it is steeped in patriarchy and racism. And look, I'm all about looking at anything that is counter to the kingdom of God. And so I'm not, I'm not somebody who needs to fiercely defend American culture. Um, if there's something in American culture that is wrong, and if it's evil, and if it is uh, harmful to other people, I want to look at that. And I want to say, well, do we need to change something there? But I, I really struggle with this concept that two plus two doesn't equal, have to equal four. Um, I watched another video where there's two people arguing on a news station and one person said, well, two plus two equals four. Like it, that's just, it is the way it is. And the other person said, no, that's your viewpoint. That's your concept. And I remember taking a philosophy class in college. I didn't go to a Christian school. And so I went to a state college and, um, in this class, we would, we would have these kind of discussions where people would say like, well, just because we've all been taught something doesn't mean that we have to, uh, accept that as reality. And it's interesting because then you'd have these people who would say, yeah, that's right. Like, for example, if someone tells me that, um, you know, gravity is what's holding us to the earth, I don't have to believe that. And what, what I find really interesting is that whether you're talking to people who consider themselves more conservative, people who consider themselves more libertarian, or people who consider themselves more liberal, uh, you can find these ideas everywhere. 
Uh, so for example, you can have people who say, hey, the whole scientific community says the earth is round. And then you can have someone who usually will fall more into a conservative camp say, no, I think the earth is flat. Uh, then you can have another person who says something like two plus two equals four. And someone who might fall more in a liberal camp would say, no, I don't believe that. That's just your perception. And I think that's a racist statement. And so I bring this up to say, how can we know? Like I, we could sit here all day and talk about uh, race or we could talk about politics or we could talk about social issues. But what I want to do is take a step back from conversations like that and say, how can we even know what is true? And what's interesting is this is a question that people have been asking for a very long time. Uh, it reminds me of a moment that happens between Jesus and a Roman governor who is called Pontius Pilate. And there's this moment where Pontius Pilate is actually trying to figure out if Jesus is somebody who really ought to be crucified or not. And so if you if you ever have time, read the book of John chapter 18, and you'll see this conversation where Pilate comes to Jesus and he says, so are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, are you saying this on your own initiative? Or did other people tell you this about me? Pilate answered, I am not even a Jew. Your own nation and the chief priests of your people delivered you to me. So I'm asking you, what have you done? And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would be handed over, so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore, Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. For this reason I have been born, and for this I have come into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? And this is, this is a cynical question. Pilate wasn't genuinely asking Jesus, well, why don't you, let's have a philosophical conversation. What is truth? He was saying, what is truth? As if truth is unknowable. And this, this question has reverberated through the ages, multiple generations wrestling with the question of what is truth. Now, if we look at a, uh, a definition of truth. If you were to look online for what truth is, you might find uh, statements like this. Truth is not simply whatever works. Uh, truth has to be something that exists outside of other constraints. Or here's another way to say it. Truth is not simply what is coherent or understandable. A group of people can get together and form a conspiracy based on a set of falsehoods where they all agree to tell the same false story, but it does not make their presentation true. Uh, truth is a set of ideas that is objectively part of reality. Truth is not what makes people feel good. Truth is not what the majority says is true. Truth is whatever is true, whether people agree or not. Truth is not what is comprehensive. So, for example, a lengthy, detailed presentation can still result in a false conclusion. A truth is not defined by what is intended, meaning that good intentions can still be false and wrong. Even if someone means well, they can still be wrong. Truth is not 
how we know. Truth is what we know. Truth is not simply what people believe, because people can believe a lie. And truth is not what is only proved in public. A truth can be privately known. Uh, For example, the location of a buried treasure. Um, This is important because right now we are living in a time where people equate what they hear on the news or what they read online or what they hear most people talking about as truth. And we we have to realize that if you look throughout the ages of history, Uh, Whenever a whole group of people begins to simply listen to whatever the media is saying or whatever the powers that be are saying or whatever culture just seems to be leaning into, that it generally doesn't go well for that culture of people. And so we have to be people who are so dedicated to the idea of figuring out what is true and what is false that we have to realize it's going to be uncomfortable there's going to be people who get frustrated by that, no matter their political leanings. It is going to frustrate people when you are somebody who is dedicated to the idea of truth. Um, and here's, here's another three simple ways that, uh, from a philosophical perspective, you can define truth. Truth is what corresponds to reality. Truth is that which matches its object. And truth is simply telling it like it is, the facts themselves. And so these are some, these are some you know, kind of philosophical ideas of what truth is, some uh, sort of concepts of how we think about truth. But uh, Thomas Aquinas said, it is the task of the philosopher to make distinctions. Now, in, a, in an age of relativism, that is not a popular idea. So for example, when we live in an age that when someone says something like two plus two doesn't equal four, there seems to be this cultural pressure to agree with them. And, and there, therein lies a problem because what happens is internally you're going, I don't agree with this person. So then here is what most people have resigned to. They will say, well, hey, that might be your truth, but it's not my truth. How can we know what is truth when truth is something that is completely subjective? Meaning, if you can have a version of truth and I can have a version of truth and those things can be different, then of course we're going to ask the question of Pontius Pilate, what is truth? If that's the case, then how can I even know what is true? And you might say, like, so for example, you might go, well, hey, for you, um, it might be true that uh, you enjoy watching certain movies, but for me, it's not true. No, no, no. That's not the right way to frame that concept. If it's true that I like to watch certain movies, like Lord of the Rings, then that is true. And it's true for everybody. Like if they were to say, hey, what's a movie that Ben likes to watch? Anybody would be true if they said Lord of the Rings. So, we have to be really, really careful about these ideas. And here, here's the really interesting thing. Of course, truth is an idea. Of course, truth is a concept, right? Um, there can be an idea that's false and there can be an idea that's true. And we have to remember, um, as the professor Thomas Keating said in Dead Poets Society, 
that um, ideas can change the world. It's, it's just, it is absolutely a revolutionary concept if we have not really thought about this, this idea that ideas can change the world. Ideas have consequences. I'll give you an example. Um, do you know that the concentration camps that existed in Nazi Germany are a direct result of philosophical ideas that were dreamed up in the lecture halls of London, England. And I'll do a quick analysis of this, but some of the things that Nazis believed in were neo, um, like neo-colonialism. So this idea that there are certain people that should subjugate other people, uh, not just because they can, but because they must, that it's actually their responsibility that if they're more powerful, it's their job to take over other nations to help those nations become better. Um, not only that, but they believed in this idea of eugenics. Eugenics was this idea that we could essentially cleanse the gene pool uh, of imperfections and we could create a perfect human race that is evolutionary, evolution, uh, uh, an evolutionary peer race of people. Um, not only that, but they believed in this concept of a master race, that there was a race that was better than all the other races. Do you know where they got all of these concepts? From philosophers in London, England, who existed in the 1800s, chiefly among them, Charles Darwin. Charles Darwin put forth these ideas of evolution and what he didn't know what happened. I'm not saying that Charles Darwin is directly responsible for the Holocaust. What I am telling you is that ideas have consequences. Now, there is another person alive in the same time period as Charles Darwin. And this was a man who was a politician living for himself. And then one day he encountered something called the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it changed his life then he would go on to fight against the institution of slavery in the British Empire and eventually seeing the, the British slave trade abolished. I mean, the largest empire arguably that has ever existed in the world. And this one man and a few other people that signed up to fight alongside him abolished slavery. His name was William Wilberforce and he is another example of how ideas can change the world. So we have to be really uh, aware of the fact that if something is true or something is not, these ideas really matter. So we, we can't just brush past this as if like, well, it's not a big deal. If somebody wants to believe something's true and it's not, it's not a big deal. It actually is a big deal. Because you never know how that small seed of an idea could become a huge consequence for many people, including millions of people losing their very lives. So, truth is an idea, but more than that, truth is a person. See, Jesus declared that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. So truth is a, per is a person and his name is Jesus. Jesus said truth isn't just an idea. Truth is a person.
And so if we want to know what is true, we need to know Jesus. We need to know him because then we will understand what is true. See, the the Bible says that there is no lie found within Jesus. There's no deception within him. But do you know who is the father of lies? Meaning the, the originator of all of the lies that humanity believes? Satan. Jesus says that Satan is the father of all lies. So any lie that you believe, it originated with Satan. So when you believe a lie, you are siding with the enemy of your soul. When you believe the truth, you are siding with the God who created you, the one who is truth embodied, the one who is truth himself. There is no reality. There is no truth apart from Jesus. So sometimes people will say things like, well, there are objective, objective truths that don't have to apply to Jesus or Christianity. They just simply are true. And we can go back to examples of like, for example, the sky is blue. We've got gravity. Two plus two equals four. Actually, every single one of those things points back to Jesus. Uh, Mathematics is incredible because in math, you find this this system of thought that is actually infinite. There, there There is no end to mathematics. You can keep on counting. Mathematics is also perfect in the way that it works. It, it, it just, it, the way that mathematics works is ridiculous. And then within mathematics, there's something called the golden ratio. The golden ratio applies to the universe, that everything in the universe is built around this idea of a golden ratio. Um, it's also called the Fibonacci sequence, I believe it's called. And what this means is that there is this this repeated pattern throughout all of creation, throughout the entire universe, uh, that is all based on mathematics. So meaning there is a reason that most types of animals look the same. Like you you don't see one um, hummingbird that is like the size of an eagle. And then the next one is like the size of a bumblebee. Like most hummingbirds are about the same size. Uh, it, it explains the way that rings form on a tree. It explains the way that flower pe- petals grow. Um, it explains the, the ratio of the human body. Uh, look it up on Google, the golden ratio, the Fibonacci sequence. You will be astounded. Um, so everything in creation, everything that is true actually points back to a creator, actually points back to a God who essentially put himself, put his fingerprint on all of creation, that anything that is true originated with God and anything that is false originated with Satan. So how can we know Jesus? Well, the Bible says we put our faith in him and that's how we know him. But we we can take it a step further than that. We have the Bible The Bible has been given to us as a gift to be able to know who God is, to be able to understand him. And so you have to think through this. If God took the time to make sure we understand who he is, and then people say things like, well, why would God do this? Or man, I just feel like God is so hard to understand. 
I always ask the question, well, have you been reading the Bible? Because the Bible is truth. So God is truth, and then he has put his word in this book we call the Bible, which means that the Bible is truth. He, he is displaying himself on the page. He is telling us, this is who I am. This is what I am asking you to do. And he even tells us, this is who Satan is, and this is what he's trying to do to you. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he's using lies and ideas to do it. So we have to read the Bible. Uh, it, it says that all scripture is God-breathed, and it is useful for training and correcting and rebuking and learning. And so the word of God actually helps us to discern between these ideas. We're, we're told that the, the word of God is like a double-edged sword that, that divides the thoughts of a person. So if you want to understand the difference between uh, what is true and what is false, reading the word of God is going to help you to do it. And uh, I would challenge you, if you haven't been reading the Word of God recently, uh, you should try reading the book of Proverbs. It is, uh, it is 31 chapters long, so you could read a chapter a day, and you could read it in a month, and it is a book that really helps you to understand these concepts of what is true and what is false, what is wise and what is foolish. And so I really encourage you to check out the book of Proverbs. And part of the reason that this is really important to think about the Word of God is because there are times that there are ideas that sound really good, right? And, and they can even be said by a preacher. Um, they can be said by a fellow Christian. And yet it can be a, a distortion of what is true. And so the Bible also talks about how we have to pray for discernment. Uh, the Holy Spirit will tell us what is true. Uh, Jesus said, like, he'll remind you of all truth. So we need the Holy Spirit to remind us of what is true. And let me give you an example. Um, maybe, you, maybe you've been a part of a church or heard a preacher say something like, um, God wants to prosper you. He wants to bless you. And if you give, God is going to bless you. Um, you're you're going to see your finances uh, change. You're going to see debt go away, uh, things like that. Let me put it this way. Um, God does want to prosper you. He does want to bless you. And he does want you to be generous. He does want you to give. But God also isn't some kind of a genie. Um, God isn't this God that like if you scratch his back, he'll scratch yours. God doesn't need your money. Um, what, what the Bible actually teaches us is that God wants us to die to our own ways and live out the life he has for us. And so here's what I'll say is uh, you see these people who say things like that, but I look at the people who were writing the New Testament, people like the Apostle Paul, and did God bless him? Richly. Yes, God blessed him richly. Uh, Paul was an extremely abundantly blessed man. But he also uh, was shipwrecked multiple times. He spent a lot of time in prison, not because he did anything wrong, but because he was sharing the good news. Um, Paul had a rough life because of his work 
as a missionary and church planter and apostle and evangelist and pastor. I mean, he had a rough life, but he talked about how thankful he was and how content he was. So the blessing that comes from God isn't something that is simply material. It is immaterial. It is spiritual. It is of the soul. And the greatest blessing that comes from God is his very presence to us. That is the greatest blessing we can ever have because it's the only thing that will never be taken away from us. When we die, we, we, come, we come into his presence even greater. When I die, I don't get to take my stuff with me. So what we have to understand is sometimes those subtle turns of phrase, sometimes those subtle ways that things are said can cause us to live an entire lifestyle that is contrary to what God is actually asking us to do. And so we can apply this to all these different cultural ideas. We can apply this to everything a politician says. We can apply this to everything a preacher says. We can apply these ideas to everything that we hear. You have to ask yourself, does it line up with the scriptures? Uh, Do I receive peace from the Holy Spirit? Or is there a discernment that's coming up in me that says this person might be teaching something false? Um, we, we have to really wrestle with that. Um, the other idea is you can talk to other believers, people that you trust, people who are people of character. Um, ask them what they believe. Um, ask them what they think about an idea. Um, but what I can tell you is if there's anything that directly contradicts the scriptures, especially the words of Jesus himself, if there's anything that just feels off, and it feels like a discernment from the Holy Spirit is rising up, then you need to go test that. Um, The Bible says, test everything. Paul said that. So test it. Test it against the scriptures. Um, Talk to believers that you trust. Uh, Do some research on it. Like, like it's, it's not an easy pursuit to find out what is true. But at the end of the day, I want to remind you again that truth is not just an idea, it's a person. The more that we know God, the more that we're going to know truth. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul said, he talks about how if we have, if we do all these things, but we don't have love, then we are nothing. And then one of the, and he starts to talk about what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not rude. What is one of the things that he says love does? Love doesn't go along with what is evil, but rejoices with the truth. So to be in God is to know his love because God is love. And to be in God is to know his truth because God is truth. We need the saving power of Jesus in our lives. We need his power at work within us. And then we will continue to know what is true. So may you experience the truth of God in your life, both in idea and in person, both in your mind and in your soul. May you allow his truth to protect you against the lies that come from the enemy. May you allow the Holy Spirit to divide what is true and what is false within you and to remove the false things from your life so that what remains is true. And may you experience his love and his goodness 
as you pursue the truth that can only be found in Jesus. Well, thank you for joining me for this divine moment. I pray that you yourself have had some divine moments as you've listened. I pray that whatever you have uh, heard from God and from his word would remain with you and that you would continue to allow him to bring up these truths in your life and to challenge the lies that exist. We don't want to listen to the lies. We want what is true. Um, I want to thank Peter for sending in this question of how do we know what is truth? And um, if you have questions or you have things that you would love to hear me talk about on this divine moment, uh, please let me know. Uh, You can find me on any social media platform. You can message me there and you could just say, hey, here is what I would love to hear. Or you could leave a review and say, hey, here's what I'm liking about the show. Here's something I'd love to hear more about. Um, I would love to be able to answer any questions or talk about any subjects that people uh, have questions about and would love to hear more about them. Thank you so much for being a listener. Thank you for uh, joining me for this divine moment. I pray that the Lord blesses you. I pray that you would experience his presence throughout the week, that you would experience some of your own divine moments as you go from this time that we've shared together. And so I want to thank you again, and I hope that you join me next time for another episode of This Divine Moment.